Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, joined alongside Jonathan, not to be confused with the wrestler Batista. And we are very excited today. We have a very special guest, Jeremy Kubacek. He is uh, known for five voices, five gears. I'm going to read off a little bit more of his accolades here in just a moment. But before we get started, I wanted to thank everybody for the, the feedback that we received. And this is one day after releasing our last podcast, the amount of people that have reached out to me that have messaged, who have called, sent emails, can't thank you enough for that episode. Uh, definitely one of the toughest things I ever did, but it was something that I think the message has been received by people and just hearing people say, hey, I've been through one of those issues before, this really helped me out. So if you get a chance, check it out at The Shadows Podcast is our Facebook page. Go over there, give us a follow. And then for our Instagram page, the underscore shadows underscore podcast. Give us a like. We have some bonus content over there as well that we're going to be posting and uh, stay updated on our episodes we got coming out to include this one here today with Jeremy Kubacek. I'm going to read off some of his information here. He has formed, partnered, and started over 20 entities since 2002 that have either been sold or continue to run. He's co-authored the book, Five Voices and Five Gears and authored the 2011 national bestseller, Making Your Leadership Come Alive. He and his business partner, Steve Cockrum, recently released their book, 100X Leader in 2019. And he is also the executive chairman of Giant, a technology company specializing in leadership development and helping organizations create invincible teams. Interesting stuff. We, we're, I'm definitely gonna ask about this. This definitely popped out to me. He's lived in Moscow, London, Atlanta now makes his home in Oklahoma City, along with his wife, Kelly, and their three college-age school children, Addison, Will, and Kate. Sir, thank you very much for joining us here on Shadows Podcast. And a pleasure. How fun is this going to be? I love, I love it when, you, when guys get scrappy and are like, hey, I've got something to say. Let's get after it. Let's do it. We're going to start things off with some rapid-fire questions, and this is something that Batista really likes doing, so we're going to let him get started with it. Come on. All right. Jeremy Kubacek. Are we saying that right? You got it. You guys are doing great. Awesome. So you're the uh, first Jeremy I've ever met with an IE at the end. It's the weirdest thing. It was really hard growing up. First question. So what's your favorite candy or treat for Halloween? You know, we're, we're, my wife and I are going on this hard, like no candy, nothing between now and this trip coming up. But if I was, it would be between a uh, Snicker bar or probably Reese's. Probably original Reese's peanut butter cup. I can go with that. I'm a Reese's guy. What is your favorite villain in a movie? Ooh, you know, I kind of like, you know, like the Sherlock Holmes uh, movies and they're kind of the villains. They're kind of sneaky and interesting. Those guys, uh, oh, I can't even remember his name uh, on Sherlock Holmes, but uh, not Mordecai, but yeah, someone knows it. I like that kind of stuff. Okay. That's a villain. Yeah. What are some hobbies out there? What's one hobby that people don't know about that you do? Um, well, I play guitar. I write, um, but I play guitar. Um, and I've, I used to be in the music business in a lot of ways. So I would, I would executive produce a number of different, um, you know, uh, artists. And then I executive produce a number of musicals. So people didn't know that, uh, but I've had a number and so I've started and created um, and played more of the strategy, funding, marketing, all of that part 
um, for playwrights and, and musicians. That's like a perfect transition into my next one. You, okay. you have one album or one band you can listen to for the rest of your life. Who would it be? And, you know, I probably, uh, yeah, is, I know you got to almost go by genre. I would have said CCR back in the day. Then I'd go James Taylor would be so easy to listen to. Um, and just to see, you know, but I'm also a big Elbow fan. And so Elbow is a band that's smart music, I call it. And I just, I like the hooks. I like the lyrics. I could go King's X in my 80s hairband days. So there's a number there, but anyway. Nice. So you visited a lot of cities. Which one is your favorite city and why? Uh, whew, man, I love London. I love it. I mean, I, London is probably one of my favorites for sure. Now, Istanbul would be up there. Uh, I do like San Diego, um, but Istanbul, uh, it's probably a close second to London. It was funny because when we were stationed in Germany, we could take Ryanair flights and go back and forth from country to country. And London was one of those places where my kids started to sound really snooty. And it's like, oh, London again. And I was like, you don't realize <laughs> how lucky you are to, to be able to travel there as much as you do. Uh, last one. Absolutely. You can recommend any book other than one of your books to somebody who would that yep. be? Uh, man, I'm looking to like, you can see my bookshelves back here. So I've got all of these books and I obviously have a ton uh, of books. So it's, I like biographies. Um, I, I would say um, the Eisenhower biographies, Dwight Eisenhower was the man. He was the best leader, in my opinion, of anyone in the last 80 years. Uh, he did more for America than anyone realized. So I would dive deep into understanding the biographies of, of uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Okay. Before we get started, you know, we, we've, uh, I've listened to some of your interviews, some of the briefs that you've given, but tell us a little bit about you, like your upbringing. Yeah, so um, I, my family moved from Prague, Czechoslovakia to Prague, Oklahoma. Okay, so that's my upbringing in a Czech background. Um, I'm born and raised um, basically on a farmstead. And so uh, only child uh, in a tractor cab. And we had two, rent uh, sorry, 10 rent houses or so, two flower shops. We had um, uh, a full-time farm and my dad was a, a wheat commissioner he's a commissioner like a uh, agricultural commissioner for the state so i grew up in this work we i was mowing lawns or on a tractor or at the flower shops so i had that entrepreneurial background and so when i was in a tractor you all you do uh, is think and dream and plan and so i just started allowing it to create and i would create songs I would create dreams. Someday I'm going to move here. Someday I'm going to do this. Someday I'm going to, and that's what I, that's what I grew up in. And my parents were very, my parents, uh, the voices, my dad was a guardian. He has a guardian nurturer. My mom is a nurturer uh, connector. So guardian nurturer background. I'm a connector creative. I'm a future thinker. So I was dreaming and scheming from an early age. Who were some of the, the biggest influences in your life growing up? Yeah, so I had, um, well, my dad would be one, and my mom and dad, but my dad would be one significantly, but I had, um, I had a number of guys. I had a youth minister that, that started teaching me leadership at like 13 years old. Amazing. Had a professor at college, taught me how to use business as a platform for good. 
Um, I had um, these business CEOs that I would start connecting with. And I probably have about 10 significant mentors that I would latch onto for a couple of years at a time and learn from and grow. And then they'd move to the next. And then, and so I always had that. And then I would, I had a lot of uh, old dead guys that I would read, you know, all the books. And so I would read these books of these dead guys that, that my mentors would give me. And I think I was just, I was probably just hungry. I was probably, uh, I was probably a little bit uh, hyper and kind of voracious at a younger age, but I always wanted to learn and, and get better. Where did uh, where did you end up attending college at? I went to a small liberal arts school called uh, OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University. I went there because of my friends. I had friends that went there, and I was going to go to Oklahoma State. And the last minute, I shifted to the small school, uh, three thousand or so, um, you know, students, and it was like sm- <laughs> bigger fish on a smaller pond. And I was able to just grow in that and, uh, you know, just really, really thrived in that environment. And I, th- I think I thrived in it because uh, it was a it was a Western civ kind of uh, view. So it was holistic and I just got it. I saw the world. I saw I understood history and loved it. And then I understood business as it relates to history. And then that's when, you know, my professor challenged me. We went he took me to Asia for um for a term. And I was in Asia with a group of other students. We went all through, you know, and I saw, literally saw it, felt it, you know, I felt Singapore and Hong Kong and Bangkok and Seoul and got into those um, places. Then I got really interested in the world in a bigger play. And then my professor was like, you know, uh, we ought to start a business in Russia (laughs) as you do. And that's what happened. We started it from my class. We started a business in Russia. So before you attended college, what were you, where did you picture yourself 10 years from that spot? Where did you see? Cause obviously you didn't go there thinking I'm gonna go to Russia. Well, I, I graduated really young. So um, I was, I went to college when I was 17 and um, got out, you know, when I just turned 21. Um, so I, and I was finished. So it was a little bit, I started early. So, but I had this, like, uh, I was like, I'm going to write books. I'm going to, uh, some, my dreams were to write books, to be a vice president of marketing someday and to be a part or run a global business. That was my, those were my dreams. I had accomplished those at an early age. Um, and so then you realize once you write your first book or do stuff, you're like, Oh, okay. That wasn't that big a deal. I mean, it was cool, but, you know, so you change your mindset a little bit of what's really, really um, important. But those were my early days. Tell us about that journey to Russia. That's that's definitely interesting to me. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, this was 1993. So the, the 1992. Uh, so the wall of communism had just, you know, just fallen in 91, 92. So it was just everyone was pioneering. So my professor had this relationship with the former communist leader of uh, education in Moscow. And he was open, very open to capitalism, very open to English, and he wanted to create a partnership. So we just, he, he challenged us and I kind of recruited a few other classmates and then we gathered some more people and then we brought teachers. So we had business guys and teachers and we went over and we started the Moscow Economic School with a Russian partner. 
And we taught economics and, and we built the business model with them. And then we helped him, you know, get it established. And this was 1993 and it's now the largest private school in Moscow. And so it's, uh, it's we still have teachers that go over and teach on terms and they teach ethics and capitalism. And um, so it, it was just a fun. Uh, and so then we, we built a marketing consulting business and we built an accounting training company from that. And so we started working with the Radisson Hotel. We started working with, um, you know, the Xerox, all these different companies. And um, we lived and we also lived above a mafia group. My first book, uh, Leadership is Dead, tells all of these stories. Uh, we had, we were in a coup attempt. We were, we were in combat uh, for, uh, that two days I was in it in the middle of it for about four or five hours. Um, we had, um, you know, uh, we had just car bombings. We, I mean, it, it was just, it was, it was like Chicago in the thirties and we were right in the middle of it. Like we really were a block away from the U S embassy, which is where all of the action happened. So that was my early, that's how I started. And when you come back from that, you know, you're a changed person, as you guys know. Wow, that's really interesting. I actually went to, I was fortunate enough to go to Russia. I went to St. Petersburg and yeah. was there for a full day. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was probably one of the most uh, exciting vacations my family has had is actually being able yeah. to go over there. And you feel like it's, there's certain countries or states you go to. And I always say you could be dropped off with your eyes closed and you open it up and you're like, this doesn't feel different. It feels different when you open your eyes. It's totally, yeah. Okay, so um, you mentioned your professor. You went over to Russia with your professor. What would you say is like that that one thing that he really taught you? Well, he actually didn't. He he we did a partnership. We went, and he was still a professor. So we graduated, and we went and started. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, and I'll give you this, especially those who are listening. That would be really encouraging. John, John Craig is his name. Um, he basically helped me form this business model. Let the world fund you to influence it. Let the world fund you to influence it. So a lot of people go try to raise money to do these projects or different things. I'm like, I want to create products that the world, it's world-class. So it's good enough. So they'll pay me to influence them. So that was that. And then my dad had this saying, said in your 20s, it's not what you do, but who you work for that's most important. And so those two combinations, those were pivotal in my early 20s, early 30s. So I spent a lot of time focused on who I worked with um, more than what I did. And then um, I really started honing in the idea of learning how to create something that's good enough for the world to, to buy. And uh, so... So what happened after Russia? You ended up, when did you come back to the States? What was that part of your journey like? Yeah. So um, I have these crazy stories and my, my wife, my fiance at the time, her dad was in Oklahoma city bombing. So I'm in Russia, I'm in a taxi cab and I hear this uh, on the radio. I spoke Russian. I've, I've lost a lot of it, but I heard on Russian, the announcer came on and goes, the city of Oklahoma has blown up. And I'm like, uh, my fiance is there. <laughs> what? So I go, you know, let's go, let's go get there. So we get, we get to that, my, my house, my flat, I go upstairs and I turn the TV on and CNN is, uh, 
on. And as soon as I turn it on, I see my future father-in-law coming down the stairs. He was the second guy down from the Oklahoma City bombing. So on the fifth floor, he had heard, he was on the phone and he heard something. He was the only one in his office, but he heard something go, get under your desk. And he gets under his desk and it blows up. And he, he gets up and he's got his phone and his phone, he's holding his phone, but his phone is blown up. It's one foot around his desk. He's in shock, you know, he's looking and it had just collapsed right by his desk. He was right on the edge. So he was, he, so he was at his desk and he was coming down the ladder. And when he came down the ladder, um, I could see where he was. And so basically this is before cell phones. So I called my wife and left a message. She was a dental hygienist. And long story short, uh, she connected, at, or I can't, I think I left it at her mom's house. I can't remember. And anyway, they found, you know, I've, I'm in Russia and she gets the message and then finds her dad. And that's why we moved back to Oklahoma City. So I uh, moved back because of just the change with him and uh, the, the dynamics and kind of, you know, major life change. Uh, luckily, he was okay. He survived, but it you know, definitely impacted him. So, um, you know, that I believe in trajectory that there's a lot of reasons. Like sometimes people get uh, something happens to people and uh, depending on who they are, they'll get hit with something and they'll either go down or they'll go up. And in our case, it, it, it elevated us because I moved back. And then that's when that message from my dad, don't, it's not what you do, it's who you work for. So I then found the person to work for. And this guy, his name was Kent Humphreys. He was a liberating leader. He was a total high support and high challenge. He's a hundred X leader. And that's where I learned uh, some of the lessons on self-preservation, the lessons on uh, leading people, the lessons on building a business. Um, and it wouldn't have happened if I had stayed, you know, in, in Russia. So there you go. So you mentioned uh, you've had 10 mentors or roughly around 10 mentors. What does mentorship mean to you? You know, um, it, it's really being around people who are givers, who are multipliers. It's like uh, early on, and I was, I was voracious and trying, I would just suck people. Like, what have you learned? Where are you at? What's going on? How do I get? And a lot of that was out of insecurity, but I had really patient mentors and they were givers and they would, they would call me up, not out. It's a key concept. So a mentor is someone who's so for you, but then they know and can sense. And so they challenge you with questions. They basically let you find the answers they don't tell you what to do. So uh, in fact, I had one, I talked to one of them this week who's been a mentor and he asked me a really poignant question and it was like, hmm, I don't like that question. That kind of hurts. It wasn't a bad question. It was just a tough one. And uh, he was just curious, but I know him well enough to go, he was planting a seed. So, you know, you think about, I like, I love this phrase, a great question is better than the right answer to the wrong question. So sometimes just the right question is a bunker buster. It like can be planted in someone and it makes them think and it can steer them. And so mentors to me are good question askers. They're listeners that can steer by, by bringing the right amount of support. So what happened when you, you got to Oklahoma City? So I ended up working for this. I became a vice president of marketing this uh, African-American hair care business, <laughs> which is funny. So I sold, uh, as you do, this white guy who looks like Jerry Seinfeld. I sold 
uh, African-American hair care. And uh, we basically, uh, we were the largest distributor and supplier for, you know, for all my African-American friends out there, uh, Luster, uh, Pink Oil, Dax Pomade, you can go through the list, Soft and Beautiful, Dark and Lovely, I sold it all, Bump Stopper, uh, Ambi, all these products and different things. And I would go to different places, but I really honed in my skill of speaking. I was on the speaking circuit and I started speaking, but I also was learning leadership through watching this Kent Humphreys. So it wasn't what I did, it was who I was working for that really developed me. And then um, they sold the business. I ended up working for the company that bought them and they were a roll-up private equity group. And then I was on an acquisition team. We bought 17 uh, companies in three years and I was on the road. I was on an airplane each week. We were buying companies and assimilating them, shutting some of them down. It was, you know, it was just an interesting season, a really hard season, uh, but really good, learned a ton. And I started taking the lessons I'm learning, like um, self-preservation. I started taking and observing the concept of self-preservation, which means the overprotection of what you're afraid of losing. So when you're overprotecting the things you're afraid of losing, you lose sooner. So I started watching that in people. So I then started asking questions. Um, what are you afraid of losing? What are you trying to hide? What are you trying to prove? And those are bunker busters, man. Drop those, those into us at any time. And that started having this profound impact on people. And so I started speaking. I started being at events. I started taking and creating content. I started some dot-coms. I had three dot-coms at one point and sold one, lost a couple. Um, and then I had this one pivotal moment where um, there was a, uh, how do I say it without being demeaning? There was a integrity issue that I observed in our business. And I got asked to be the COO. And I saw that and I basically was like, I uh, gave the CEO a chance to, to recognize it and he did, but he basically was like, yeah, it's not changing. Uh, and it was such a moral issue that I had to quit. So I quit and three days later, I'm, I'm basically in Oklahoma City. I had been traveling and there I am in 2000, 2001. And so I started from that point, basically started, um, I worked for uh, an advertising firm for a season and then I started Giant. But it was uh, another big moment. I don't know how much time we have another big moment that changed my uh, changed my entire trajectory uh, at, at another level. Tell us about, did it start off Giant Impact? Is that what it was, 2002? No, it started, it started as Giant Partners. And we started, um, eventually we started Giant Partners, Giant uh, Capital, Giant Impact, Giant Experiences, Giant Leaders, Giant Investors. Giant, we had nine giant companies at one point all doing different things. And, um, and I, I was, as a founder, I was kind of overseeing a lot of those things. Um, and then I was running giant impact, which was, we bought John Maxwell's assets and, and we built in this. So I took over that. Uh, we started the catalyst conferences. We started the Chick-fil-A leader cast. So I started building all of those things. But prior to that, uh, what happened to me was I was in Mexico. I went to Cancun and I got hit, um, uh, by drunk driver. My wife and I were in a car in a hurricane at like 11 at night and basically uh, almost lost my life. I was paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, I had surgery. Uh, I'm not paralyzed now. There was a lot that happened and that really was miraculous. It changed our, it was the trajectory moment 
it changed everything. So we had started giant with a big eye, like we're going to do big things. We're going to go after all these things. And after that event, we squished the eye. We made the eye a little eye and giant stands for humility, not pride. And I used to call myself the maker of happen for all these. I was like, that was such a stupid name, but I was like, man, I just make things happen. I'm a connector. I'm a pioneer. I do all these things. And after that event, um, humility started to creep in. And so I started working on being secure, confident, and humble. Appreciate you sharing that story. I'd never heard that before. Speaking of which, you know, you, you've talked about different dot coms and different uh, careers that you've had. What do you think? Because I believe you learn probably more from a failure than you do from success. And I've always been told, you know, like never follow a perfect person, follow the person that's black and blue. What was the biggest failure early in your career that you overcame and really learned a lot from? Because some people encounter like one little set off at a job and they're like, they quit following their dreams altogether. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, I didn't really have many um, in my 20s, which was part of the problem. Um, so, cause I was like, man, I'm untouchable. Everything I do turns to gold. So I had these expectations that they would go. So it weren't really as much, fun. I mean, I could give you cases that we didn't do as well as we thought we'd do. You know, I had to turn off during the dot-com bust. I had to close down, um, one of our dot-coms. I mean, that was, a, is that a failure? Well, 90% of them had to shut, you know, I mean, literally the, the bust was where, where all of it went bust. Yeah. So I go, that wasn't really failure. I mean, it was to some degree on paper, but it, I didn't feel it, it as much. So I think for me, it was like, um, the failure was probably more of, um, failure of thought, like trying to be somebody that I wasn't, it was the insecurity that's in anyone who's young and the inability to let the insecurity lead me on a journey to maturity and security. So um, it took the accident to wake me up to the degree of like, hey, who are you really? What are you really about? What are you trying to accomplish? What's really, you know, I, mean, I literally um, was one, I'm floating from the, looking down at the car when I was gone. So I had a chance to reset. And when I, at 30 years old, and so I feel like I have my second life that I'm living now. What was that recovery process like? Um, I had, you know, it, it was, it was, a, gosh, uh, probably about six months all in about three months. My nine ribs, uh, snap, uh, snap, I broke nine ribs. Um, I was, uh, severed intestines. My um, sternum still hurts. Like I literally was at the beach last week and I was carrying these, these chairs and my sternum was killing me still. So, um, you know, it's still, it's still with me a little bit. Now there, there's something I heard you talking about in, in, well, it was about your, your journey to London. You were at like the, the Bruce Wayne Manor or somewhere like that. What, tell us about your, uh, what drove you to London? Tell us about the awesome setup. It seems like you had over there. Yeah, so we uh, basically decided, you know what, uh, had been running these large events, LeaderCast, we have a 185,000 person event. We had these big conferences with 15,000 people and uh, 10,000 people, all these just large. And I was like, I'm so worn out on that model. And I wanted to get, so we moved uh, my family to London and we basically started building Giant Worldwide 
and doing it a little differently. But we decided if we go there during the time, 2013, the housing prices were uh, suppressed at the higher levels, but they're really expensive at the mid lower level. So we're like, well, why don't we go after a manor house? And so Steve Cochran and I, his family and our family, we leased uh, a house together. They had one wing and we had one wing and it was a 10 bedroom old manor called Hedsford Priory right across the street from the Clifton house, which is probably the nicest house hotel in England, probably the top three. And it was like movie. I mean, it was just surreal and uh, really, really fun. And we'd have people come and stay. We'd have uh, leaders of large companies and political leaders and and they'd come and stay. And our family would kind of, my kids would serve them, you know? So it was just a fun, uh, it, it was a fun environment. And that's when I was flying back and forth. And this is what's really funny about the Air Force, how we began to work with the Air Force. So I'm on an airplane and I was I was traveling, I don't remember where, out of Atlanta, I think it was. Uh, and I was coming back to Atlanta and then going back to London the next day. And I'm on this flight and I have this like knack of people like, I don't know, they're tracked, something happens and they start asking me questions and I kind of play coy and then, I serve him. This one guy was on his third vodka tonic on the air on the airplane, a little bit gone, and he starts asking questions about leadership. What do I do? I explained it because I don't believe in that. Okay, all right. He was real feisty. So then he goes, "Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in partners either." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I, I believe in partners. I have a lot of business partners. None of them have worked out for me. I've had ten business partners. Every one of them is a crook." Um, in fact, I'm just about to divorce my third wife. And that's the moment where I like fictitiously pulled out a two by four and I put velvet around it, which means I'm about to hit him across and the, the brow with some words. And I did. And I go, have you ever thought that it might be you? And he looks at me. He's like, what'd you just say? I'm like, I don't know. That's 13 partnerships. Have you ever thought it might be you? And literally about 20 minutes later, the guy's crying. He's uh, commiserating. I'm trying to help him. He's like, it is, it's me. I need help. I'm a mess. Can you help me? What can you do? I start showing him some tools. I pulled out my toolkit, start showing him some tools, helping him on some things on the airplane. Well, you know, this was a smaller plane. Everybody can hear. So I get this. So he, he didn't have, I didn't have a card. So he's writing my, uh, name down, but he can't really write very well in his situation. So I'm writing it down. He's like, what is this? I go, Jeremy at giantworldwide.com. He, you know, I wrote it down. So I get an email two days later, never, ever heard from that guy ever. I get another email from this other guy. His name's Colonel Bill DeMarco. He goes, Hey, uh, this might be weird. You might think I'm stalking you, but I heard the entire conversation. And I've never in my life experienced a leadership moment like that. I've never seen you take someone from that level of that guy was, you know, he was a jerk in getting him to the level you got him to in that period of time. Do you think you could come and help us at the Air Force? (laughs) And that's how we got uh, started working with the Air Force. And then I started at Air War College, started doing some sessions, Brian Williamson, Amy Norton, and Mark Tilsher, and then now we're working on you know, numerous spaces around the world. Pretty cool how that works. 
Did he happen to mention uh, the key points that you brought up to that individual? Uh, I think it was just the ability to to take uh, such a negative and to take such a, a crass response and spin it back to the level of getting him to a point where he got to self-awareness. And actually in that record time, he had an opportunity. Now, again, I don't know how much of it was alcohol induced and if you ever remembered the conversation, but um, you know, that did change the dynamics, but I think that was why. So you went from London to Oklahoma city. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, I, my kids, I could tell there was a moment where we were like, you know, they're, it's time. They're wanting to go back to the U S for, um, for high school. And I, my oldest would have been a senior in high school. Then I'd have a sophomore. Say I think I was junior and then freshman and then an eighth grader at the time. And so I gave them five cities to choose from. I said, okay, if we move back, we, we can move to DC, um, Denver. We can move to Atlanta. We can move to Nashville, which is where I really wanted to go. Or we could go back to Oklahoma city. We had, um, six companies here. We had my family, um, you know, business here, our family farms, we had, uh, friends and, and, and all of that. And three out of four, I gave them, I said, it's just total de- democratic vote wherever you guys decide out of these five cities I'm in. And they chose Oklahoma city. And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait, have you seen Nashville or Denver? Do you know? <laughs> so I went back through and they did. And so we, we moved we moved back here, but I said, if we do move back, I can't just go into the suburbs or just a house. So uh, we built a neighborhood. And so we decided if we we're going to move back, let's create. So we built this neighborhood called the Prairie at Post. You can kind of see it. The ice has just melted. The, the oh, trees nice. are in bad shape. But these are all modern farmhouses. So we built 20 houses on 50 acres. And it was like, you know, who says we can't? We can do that. And so we... We did it and we built and moved into our house in April of this year. So it took, it took a few years. You've built a neighborhood and I built a shed in my backyard. I feel really good about my life right now. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all relative, right? So. so tell us, you mentioned Giant Worldwide. For somebody listening to this that has never heard of Giant Worldwide, how would you describe it yeah. to them? So what we did is we, we basically created... Um, content and tools that everybody can use and implement inside their world. But we wanted to create it where it wasn't just Steve and I um, at the beginning, just being the heroes. So we created the content where we could certify people. So we're basically a certification system and a technology platform. So it's giant TV. So giant.tv slash JK. It's free for any of those who want or are interested in it. So giant.tv slash JK. And the whole, um, the whole premise is we want people to use our content and we ultimately are wanting invincible teams. This is what we call it. And so the idea of invincibility and being invincible means that you've got teams that are working together. They're stronger. They're getting better with communication, relationships, alignment, execution, and capacity. So really giant uh, unlocks people. So if, you know, the words I got from a, a number of people, clients today, like giant works because we take the cynical know-it-alls and we give them tools and language to do self-awareness and to see themselves and to get better. And then we give a system so that people can, can learn 
And so that system uh, is actually multipliable. And so that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. We want to thank Mr. Kubitschek for taking time out of his extremely busy schedule to be here with us. Uh, there's a lot more that uh, we want to unpack here with uh, Giant Worldwide. So we're going to have a continuation episode sometime down the road. So definitely stay tuned for that. Sir, if they would like to find out more about Giant, where do they need to go? Yeah, I'm the easiest is just go giant.tv slash JK. And we've given, it's called Ascend. It's all this content for free. Now, if you wanted to add it to your, you know, if you wanted to go through Invincible, uh, that's uh, a paid um, for teams to go through, but you can check it out at giant.tv slash JK or find out more from, from me at jeremykubachek.com. Well, thank you for your time, sir. We really do appreciate it. One more time, check us out at Facebook at The Shadows Podcast and also on Instagram, the underscore shadows underscore podcast. Uh, Batista, you got any parting words? It was nice to meet you, sir. Um, sorry you had to go a little early, but uh, can't wait to talk to you again. Batista, Bodie, thanks, guys. Absolutely. Grateful for you. Thank you for your time, right, sir. Cheers. And stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you very much. Love it. Bye-bye.